Listen, I mean, as you well know, but people might not, it's one of the all-time greatest skateboarders who ever lived. Right up Absolutely. there with Hawk and Hasoy and Danny Way. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. got that right rachel you are listening to that great podcast in the sky and if love remains i am your sometimes virtuous occasionally vile but always virile host mike levitt and i am super excited to have on the line today um, an important guest somebody that, that we've had before a good friend of the show and, and man just happy we can make this happen scott horton i know how busy you are now this is important times and you're you're the man that's got some some great lessons for us but i appreciate you making time for us today man Happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Dude, this is this is good. And and I'm I'm really um I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh first of all, for those who don't know, Scott Horton is kind of the um <laughs> he's the go-to guy if you want to talk about international affairs and if you want to talk about, you know, what's going on behind the scenes and and um and want to know the real scoop of what's happening, you gotta go see Scott, ScottHorton.org antiwar.com um libertarianinstitute.org is that right yes Scott? um man you can find all kinds of great information there and um man he's he's a guy that that you that i know you know if, if it were me i'd probably be rather talking about like john cardiel skateboarding and music <laughs> but um uh but but man we're t- we're in we're in important times right now that, that i appreciate you doing this um all I want- cardiel Oh, dude, amen, dude. I grew up with that guy. I love that guy, man. Oh, oh, really? You know him personally, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was in, I was in, I, I was in his graduating class. He's just, oh man, a cool, well, really look, cool I mean, guy. Him, he and my, he and my, uh, my brother would go snowboarding all the time up at Boreal and stuff. Man, good times. That's great. <laughs> Listen, I mean, as you well know, but people might not. It's one of the all-time greatest skateboarders who ever lived. Right up Absolutely. there with Hawk and Hasoy and Danny Way and I don't know. After that, Gons. Yeah. I mean, Cardiel was, boy, is he something else. I remember when he first started busting out, you know, publicly, you know, hit the magazines and whatever in the nineties and just. Dude, oh. him, he was one of the I first guys. That that, <laughs> he's one of the first guys to have that, uh, you know, do both the snowboarding and uh, skateboarding. But I think that's what they say, right? Is he learned how to go huge on yeah. the snow. And then when he got to LA, he didn't see any difference between the concrete and the snow at all. Right. He was Which just like, fact. what? That's man. Yeah. No, yeah, hey, man. listen, all hail Cardiel, dude. All respect to that guy. He's the best. I, by the way, I got a, I got a funny story about, um, he would come to our house and, and he, he was, he was in my class, but he, he, my buddy, he, my brother were more of the skateboarder guys and, and they were just, they would just rip it up. Um, and, uh, uh, we were kind of in like a gated community and had all these kind of dumb rules and stuff like, like some of them have. And, uh, um, our other buddy had a, had a skate wrap, had built a little half pipe and couldn't get the, it was getting all these complaints. And so he ended up going and registering the thing as a boat so that he could keep it on his property. <laughs> <Keep> <laughs> skating. 
That's awesome. That's man. that's what you nullify, baby. Um, so listen, man. I mean, was he that awesome when y'all were like fourteen or what? Dude, he was a freak. He was a, he would do anything. We had we had he would do anything on anything. Like we would he, we had this place. It's called the Widowmaker, which was kind of a um like BMX bike uh dirt jump thing. And he would do these these crazy aerials, and he would land flat on his face and just get up laughing. I mean, the guy was nuts. He was insane, and he just and I have to say, he's just the coolest dude. Just a really cool guy, man. Like, just a heart full of heart, man. And yeah, uh, yeah dude, love that so guy. Look, I mean, I saw a video, I guess maybe four or five years ago now, where like. I mean, for people who don't know, this poor guy got ran over by a trailer and yeah. broke his back. But I saw a video where he's riding his bicycle around. Yeah. And pretty fast and crazy, too. Like, you know, I don't know. But he I doesn't do anything slow. Skate again or what. No, I, I I don't think so. I haven't heard much from him in a while. But but yeah, I think he, that, that accident really tore him up. Um, I mean, but- you know, I, I actually thought of him. Like, this is a stupid ass thing for me to admit publicly, but hey, it's the whole truth or it's a lie, right? Right. I was parking my truck and my empty boat trailer. I dumped the boat in the lake and my buddies were sitting in the boat waiting for me. And I went to go and park the truck and I had plenty of room to park and I just pulled right in there. But I was like on the phone or some bullshit distracted. And so I just forgot that my trailer is, of course, like two or three feet wider than my truck is. And so I ended up screwing, you know, hitting the back right fender of a Chevy Silverado, I think it was, and really messing it up. And of course I'm honest guy, I paid the guy and all that. Um, But that's what happened to Cardiel is he's standing next to a truck going, okay, see you guys later, dude. And forgot that they're pulling a trailer that then is wider than the truck. And so like, I think they said somebody yelled, look out, but it was too late. Yeah. Like, man, that's the same damn thing I did to a truck is what some guy did to Cardiel, did to Cardiel. you know, and it's, but it's just, damn it, man, pay attention what you're doing, boy. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm talking to myself and them, you know, right, man, no, it's true, man. It's and you true. know what? Think how bad that felt like. I mean, not just for John, but like for the guy driving the truck that like, you're the guy that broke Cardiel's back, dude. Right. How do you like that? Oh, you know what I mean? Holy no. crap. That's like cutting Christian Asoy's foot off, dude. You can't right. do that. You know? Right. <laughs> Holy crap. Yo. So, uh, yeah. So, just dude. what a terrible situation. But I did see him like, I don't know if it was, um, it might have been epically latered. Uh, that show that, you know, that documentary show that they did on Vice where yeah. they show him tearing it up on like a mountain bike going 40, you know, or yep. something. So like. All right. No, he, he, I, I, I did remember seeing that and man, I just, I'm sorry. I know dude, this is not why you invited me here no, today. Dude. But- hey, like I said, I'd rather be talking music, John Cardiosky. I mean, I'm all for that. Cause it's, you said it's- the magic word and I just pictured that guy doing the biggest stairs at the biggest rails at the time that anyone had seen, Anybody. Was like, you know, very big pants tech stuff. And he was like, look, you can do your tech, but let's just do it down 13 stairs at a time. That's all. <laughs> He's right. like, okay, dude, I read you loud and clear. You know, he, he seriously had no fear. Like that guy, and 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 um, you know, and I remember like we'd go to you know the high school or whatever, and he would just do these freaking stairs and do these rails that that were unbelievable. And then um, 
and like I said, like he and he was like rubber band man, man. Like I'm, I'm kind of surprised that 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 that, that truck broke his back. Is he would just fall and just, shoot, and I don't know if he had some sort of like tumbling experience in his background or what, but that dude just got up and you know he's he's laughing, you know, broken tooth, blood on his face. He's like, let's do it again, you know. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but man. Uh, well, and look, I it, well as you know, the difference between a really great skater and the very best skaters is like the difference between one and 10, right? Like you yeah. could have the, the best pro in the history of your state. He just ain't nothing compared to say the Burt guys in San Diego, the top tier there, or the right. very best street skaters from San Francisco. Like those guys are so damn good that like, I'm just sorry, man, your best buddy. He's just not, there, right. right, like that's the tier that cardio is at. Where this yeah. is like Jedi Knight, superhuman, Bob Burnquist level. He was insane. an artist, man. Unbelievable. He was a freaking artist, and yeah. and I rem- and I remember seeing him on the on the snowboarding stuff too. And he was just yeah, he would go so big, and um, you know, I'd I'd watch him just just you know, and like I said, you know, we were not you know. Uh, night skiing at Boreal and stuff and watching him do these flips and doing these things that, that just, you know, that, that only he would dare to do. And people were just like, what's he doing? Um, but yeah, man. cool stuff. Cool, man. Good, good, good times. Thanks for the, thanks for the ride back, Scott. That's great, dude. I just think that's the coolest thing in the world that you're associated with one of like the all time greatest human athletes ever. Dude. And for that matter, I mean, I, it sounds stupid to outsiders or whatever, but to me, like that is simply the measure of a human man is how good you are at skateboarding. So like these are to me, the very best people actually, yeah. right? Gons and Cardiel and Hawk and, and way. And these are the greatest men who ever lived as far as I'm concerned. So, dude, fuck that, dude. so, and, and, and all those guys, dude, are just cool dudes too. They're not like they're they're not they're not the 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 you know athlete that's gonna you know rub you wrong like they love the people that love them and they just they're just they're just cool. I mean, I grew up dudes. skating. I skated with Jeff Phillips about oh I don't yeah. know probably four or five times, but I skated you know with Danny Webster and Todd Prince and Dave Donaldson and you know all the Texas pros Mike Crum and and Chris Gentry. I mean, these guys were and Jeff Phillips especially was just superhuman. If you ever mess with that guy, he was up there on the level of Hawker Hasoy. You yeah, know, absolutely. And Craig Johnson. I mean, when I was 12, Jeff Phillips gave me a lecture about Craig Johnson. Craig Johnson is the only skateboarder in the world that I'm afraid <laughs> of. I still remember this, dude, at Lone Star Skate Park, 1988. Awesome. It, was when, it was when BBC was brand new and the devil board wasn't even out yet. He was riding a blank BBC, but with the no big way. nose. The devil board shape. But before there were any graphics on it, gave me BBC, tough guy stickers. Like, man. Oh, dude. So I grew up around those guys. And so, like, I I really appreciate um, what you're saying about, I mean, I'm from Austin, not Dallas or Houston. So I didn't, like, know them well. But I skated yeah, yeah. with them enough times, you know. Um, so I know what you mean, like, what it would what it means to be, like, that close in person to someone who's that great. That's like, dude, you really know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Like, the right. guy who's, the, right, like, the greatest ball player ever like right. that level of of incredible you know like that's really what we're talking about with and cardiel and know? it is crazy to think about like you know when i think about like the things that he did and with the things that, that i would watch him do and thinking that was normal and then then watching normal skaters skate yeah 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 like, right 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, I got a little bag of tricks. Like even on the big ramp, I skate with the boys and whatever. Right? But then an actual pro shows up, even yeah. like a lower level vert pro. And it's yeah. like, oh man, I might as well be rollerblading. What am I even doing here? Right. No. These guys. And I'll tell you, I went, I went to, um, when I lived in LA in 2011, I guess it was, I went to the X games that they had there in the Inland Empire, somewhere in Anaheim, I guess it was. Yeah. And, um, I just went by myself just to watch the vert contest. And I remember like, I, I probably like deliberately told it to myself this way, just so I would never forget watching Danny Mayer. Okay. In the vert contest. He has no, he doesn't do any frontside air, backside air, mute air, indie air, stale fish. Every single air that he does, all of them are 540s, okay? Everything. He does like nine fives in the run and frontside, wow. backside, whatever. He does a kickflip McTwist. He does a body burial kickflip McTwist. He does like whatever, dude. Alley-oop stale over the channel or whatever the crap it was. It was absolute, like unbelievable. Like if Luke Skywalker was real and was a skateboarder, like this is how good <laughs> he would be. And dude, Danny Mayer got fourth and he wow. deserved it. He deserved it, dude, because Bucky Lassick and... I don't know if it was Pierre Luke or whoever was there, but it, Bucky Lassick and whoever, the top three guys that beat him, they deserve to beat him, dude. They shredded Danny Mayer. And I just wow. saw Danny Mayer do like nine fives. Wow. And, and with a kickflip and a body varial. And then, you know, that one they do where it's like body varial and then late varial. Yeah, yeah. Flip me twist. Like, dude, come on, man. You can't do that. Danny Mayer can do that in his contest run. And fakie to fakie five and frontside five and this and that and whatever, everything. And he still got fourth. Wow. And I was like, damn, dude. I think Bucky won. And I forgot who was two and three and whatever. But it was just, but man. You're right, is, man. That, that When you see that level of yeah. like. Of, of, of And when you're standing there and it's not on TV, but it's like. Right. And, and when you're really a skateboarder and you understand how hard that really is to do. Yeah. Like. You know what well, I mean? Well, it, it's it's kind of like it's it's yeah. kind of like if you're watching like a NASCAR show, you know, and you watch on TV, like oh, those guys are just going around in a circle, and then you go down to the track, you're like, holy shnight, dude, that yeah, is that insane. ain't easy. <laughs> no, it's it's the same thing. Like you watch these guys, you see them do their their thing, and then and then you go and you you actually watch and see the just you know the the gymnastics. I mean, it's insane the the body control this, these guys can do and and what they can do with their with the racks is amazing it's it's just crazy dude and i think you know like pride to me the best comparison is like to basketball right where you got a guy who's really really good in the neighborhood and yeah. then he may or may not cut it in college ball yeah and then you got a guy who's really really great at college ball like really great who may or may not really make it in the pros yeah and then among the pros you have a level of guys, the top tier of guys among the pros were like, they're not really even playing the same guy as the guy playing ball in the neighborhood anymore. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other level of talent that you just cannot mess around with at all. It's, it's you, you can't know, teach, that's you the can't same play. kind of thing with yeah. skateboarding, like the very best guy in your town versus the very best guy in your state versus the very best guys in San Diego or in San Francisco for street yeah. guys. I'm a, I'm a ramp guy. But okay. if you're if you're talking street guys like Cardiel or whatever, the yeah. very best guys there, you're talking like Michael Jordan compared to 
whatever the guy from your local college team or or you know the best guy that you knew growing up growing yeah. up yeah and you can't get and it's easy to get fooled man like because i i i mean i see i was not in the skateboard realm i just knew those guys because of my, of my brother i was just lucky but like you know i played i played basketball and um you know people would say man mike you don't miss man how come you're not playing college ball how come you're not and you're like Dude, because I would miss in college, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. I, I I can make every twenty three footer out here on the on the sidewalk or in high school. I can make everything, but I would miss in college. And then it's the same thing, like those college players. You, you see these guys that are just insane, and then you go to the pros, and you're like, that guy never gets off the bench, you know. Dude, that's like me. I can get third place in a contest against my friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like. I can't win. Right. And, and don't, don't make me like, just, you know, skate up again. And I'm ta- I'm old now, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, do. don't put me up in the regionals against the boys from, you know, wherever. Cause I'm not going to make the finals there. Yeah. You know? Oh dude. So this is anyway. good. Well, man. Hey, this is, Hey, we need to do just an episode on, you know, the skateboard world, brother. <laughs> you know, I, I'm out of touch now. I used to read the trash at the back of Thrasher every week, every month or whatever, but you know, I'm old. Um, I, well, I do see, um, I do watch some contests every once in a while. I try to watch like Tampa pro every year and a couple things and like not to blow out the spot or anything, but there's a gigantic, like literally, I don't even want to say an extremely good vert ramp going up somewhere in Texas. <clears throat> and, um, I'm kind of saving all my ammo, keeping all my ammo dry for that. It's, it'll be done relatively soon, I think. Oh, that's and cool. So we're going oh, to have right. a good time, man. It ain't over yet. Not quite. Right on, brother. Yeah. Woo. Stay young. That's Tell good. You. Well, I, mean, I can um, do a lean to tail that high still, so why not? <laughs> hey, why not? That that ain't bad. <laughs> um, well, I had last time I had you on, we talked about your, your uh, book enough already. Um, and that was just incredible book. I, I appreciate it. And it, it kind of leans into the times that we're having right now. I know you have a new book, Harder Than the Sun, and you got a, another one coming out soon. Um, real quick, before we get into kind of the details, like what, what are you working on? What's, what's, what's coming up next for Scott Horton, man? Well, right now I'm way too deep into a book. It's uh, like uh, almost 1,200 pages and counting, although there's obviously a severe edit in my future. But um the book is called Provoked, How Washington Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine. And what it really is, is it's the history of the, of the new Cold War that started at the end of the old Cold War and how H.W. Bush, rather than being a good sport, took advantage, unlike in his promises and his men's promises and his allies' promises. And then Bill Clinton, you won't be surprised to know, made it worse and W. Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden all made it worse and worse and worse until it came to this. And of course, the Russians bear their own responsibility. But basically, man, it's like this. The way I see it is responsibility is a quality and not a quantity. So you can divide it up however you like. Mm -hmm. So the people who did what they did, they're responsible for what they did and for the predictable consequences of it, et cetera, right. et cetera. And then, but the people who react and commit sins in the name of, you know, um, retaliating against whatever happened to them in the first place where they're all still responsible for their actions too. If you want to take an analogy um, from the current contest or, or pardon me, uh, the controversy, uh, um, the, the whole problem in, Israel-Palestine right now, um, the guys who broke out of the Gaza concentration camp and slaughtered all those Israeli civilians, 
by the hundreds and hundreds. They're all responsible for their actions, 100%. And their commanding officers who told them to do it are also 100% responsible for their men's actions. That's what it means when you're in the military and you go, these are my men, right? They're your men. And that means that you're responsible when you tell them to do war crimes and they do it. So now we got 200% responsibility, no problem. It's a quality, yep. not a quantity. And, and and who could deny what I just said? That the that the the war criminal and his boss who ordered him to do it are both as responsible as can possibly be. They don't have to share and diminish their responsibility because they share it. What the hell? They multiply their responsibility. I don't care. What? And then, but wait, yeah. same for Benjamin Netanyahu. It's his fault too. He's been King Bibi, the longest serving prime minister in the history of Israel, longer than David Ben-Gurion, the, the founding prime minister, right? He has had more power and influence and control over Israeli policy over the last 25 years than anyone. And this happened directly due to his policies and on his watch when he's the chief of the security force. And that means it's 100% his responsibility too. So you want to take that metaphor and that analogy? This is all Bill Clinton and George W. Bush's fault, 100% each. Also Bush's father, also Obama and Trump and Biden, who was obviously in power and horrible all along, whether as senator or vice president or president. And it's also, of course, Vladimir Putin's fault and his men who obey his illegal orders to commit war crimes, invade a country and kill people when they don't have to do that. And so it's not any more than it's taking Osama's side to explain the motive and the strategy behind Al-Qaeda's war against the United States. It's, uh, it's not taking Russia's side to explain why it is that people get really angry and violent over things that Bill Clinton does. Right. Like, you know what? Like, you might even follow this lady on Twitter. Her name is Juanita Broderick. And he beat the crap out of her and raped her and bit her on the face like a savage animal. Okay? That's who Bill Clinton is. Mm -hmm. The same guy that raped Juanita Broderick is the same guy who also did other terrible things, dude. Right. And, and he's the same guy that made Osama bin Laden want to knock our towers down with planes full of our own civilians, too. Okay, he's the guy who made Russia essentially humiliated and beaten and defeated in the worst way at the end of the Cold War. When in fact, Gorbachev essentially voluntarily, almost to the end, voluntarily dissolved the USSR, hardly put up a fight at all. And, you know, by the end, it got out of his control and his desperate measures to try to save it weren't enough. But they acted like, oh, we just defeated the Soviet Union. Now we just grind their face in the dirt. But that wasn't right. What had happened was the good Russians had overthrown the commies for us. You could consider them like our bestest friends in the world if you wanted to, instead of going, oh, no, it's just Russia. And so now that they're beaten, instead of being a good sport and making a good friend out of them like we did with Germany and Japan after the Second World War. No, instead, we're going to grind their face in the dirt like France and Britain did to Germany after the First World War. And then what are they going to do about it? And in my book, I got quote after quote after quote after quote of Bush people and Clinton people and, put, and, and second Bush people and Obama people saying, what are they going to do about it? We're the superpower. They're not a superpower anymore. 
we can do what we want and they can't do anything, right? Which is simply a bully talking, which right. that's the American empire. They call it the rules-based world order. But what it is is a bunch of sinners taking advantage, killing and stealing and getting away with murder, just the same as any empire would do. You thought that they would all say, no, but George Washington resigned his commission and went back to the farm. That's what a real republic would do at the end of a Cold War against the Soviet Union. Let's do that. No, they didn't do that. Right. That's what Ron Paul said. And that's what Pat Buchanan said. But Bush and Clinton and Bush, they declared the new world order. They declared that they can do whatever they want. Bush Sr. said, what we say goes and that is the origin of our new Cold War, that these guys, our country has been run by a bunch of selfish scum. I mean, just think about what, like, never even mind who you voted for. It's been long enough, okay? Right. Like, isn't it fair to just say, like, Bush and Clinton and Bush and Obama and no matter what you think of Trump, I mean, Biden, I know people are very partisan for and against Trump. But right. I don't think anybody loves any of the rest of these people. Like, who did I just name? Like, these are the most mediocre people. We had Joe Biden and John McCain. The consensus that they represent in the center has been what America does for the last 30 years. When Joe Biden and John McCain agree on a thing, that's what we do. Well, how could it be right then? How could it right. be right? You know, and so that I just, you know, I'm not a partisan. I'm not married to like, oh, one time I voted for this president. So it hurts my feelings if you criticize him or any of this. They're these are terrible men. And, and not that George W. Bush would have ever beat up a lady and raped her the way Bill Clinton would. But he would still kill a million other people. You know, uh, he would still lie directly well, to your mom's face and try to make her be afraid. In well, order to let him get away with worse. And you and you're seeing that continue where you're seeing that kind of, of thing. Like, like, yes, you know, what what the what the Palestinian what Hamas did to Israel um was horrific in every way and deserves a hundred percent responsibility. But you know, where were the soldiers? You know, why did it take so long? What I mean, there's so many other things. And then and then and then why why is Israel, you know, blockading? you know, the food and the, and water and, 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 and energy. It's like, wait a sec, you may not be going out and just fly out, just, just cutting people's heads off, but I don't understand the difference between a dead kid and a dead kid. I'm telling you what, and listen, I think as long as we're on that, they're losing control of that narrative. And I have to say, it really is something because what happened this time with Hamas killing these people, this really is the worst slaughter of innocent Jewish Israeli civilians you know, since the start of the war, maybe worse than anything that happened in 48. I guess they're saying since the Holocaust in Europe, this is the biggest attack, um, uh, biggest violent loss of life of Israeli civilians. Even in the wars, uh, the, I think someone mentioned the 73 war. There were a bunch of uh, IDF soldiers who were killed in the Sinai or something like that. But hey, they at least were combatants, you know what I mean? And right. they were fighting against other combatants in a war, that kind of thing. This is just the worst, absolute, you know, horrific atrocity. And yet still, almost immediately, not just in Europe, but in the United States, you have not just leftists, but even like center-left Democrats saying like, hey, 
you know, Israel's going too far. Israel helped create this situation in the first place. We urge you to cease fire and not do a land invasion and the rest of that. And I have to tell you, I'm very, uh, okay, I'm I'm somewhat surprised by that. I mean, I, well, I, I guess you could say very, because look, go back to 2014, okay, nine years ago, Israel did another operation like this. It was just in reaction to, I think three soldiers were killed or kidnapped. I forgot exactly the run up to it. I had to go back. Okay. But it was just like three guys was the start of that thing. It was a much smaller excuse for the beginning of it. And, and then it was this horrific slaughter, air campaign against Gaza like you have right now. And that was the first time that Facebook and Twitter truly pulled rank over the TV. And so TV was saying, Israel, Israel, Israel. And on the internet, though, it was Gaza under attack. And you just can't deny that like these rockets that hit Israel, very occasionally they do kill people and sometimes even innocent children and, and who knows who they hit an apartment complex and kill innocent civilians. But they're almost entirely just pot shots, right? They land in the middle of the street, hurt no one or, you know, hit the side of a wall and just, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not much. On the other side, the Israelis are coming in with the best technology Americans can buy to bomb and just absolutely level entire neighborhoods at a time. And yeah. people could just see on Facebook and Twitter that like, whoa, the narrative on TV and my lion eyes looking at social media, man, I'm not sure, but I think I believe my eyes of, of who's really terrorizing who here and who's, you know, et cetera, like that. Now, I might have thought if you'd asked me before this broke out, I don't know, Scott, what if it happens again? I might have told you, dude, I don't know, because the clampdown on and the censorship and the control of the algorithms and everything sure. is so much more sophisticated because they learned that lesson from 14. We can't ever let that happen again, right? So we have this, as we all know now, because of the, the heroic work of Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger and these other journalists from the Twitter files and some of these lawsuits that they've created this massive uh, internet uh, censorship regime. And so, um, but I think that still, in fact, now it's like, no, look, it, the shift really has come where Twitter is like inarguably upstream from TV. Right. And the, the, those center left TV anchors have got to take their cue from at, at least allowing a bit of the other side of the story, right? It's not like they're demonizing Israel or anything, but they're right. like saying, geez, you know, I mean, what and, are these people doing there anyway? You know what I mean? Why, why is there a giant prison wall for them to break out of? Like, does anybody want to explain this? You know what I mean? There's right. a bit of that. And there's, I, and there's real concern. You know what? I got, I'm going to say some wild speculation here. Okay. This isn't a conspiracy theory because it would only be a conspiracy theory if I told you I was sure that it was true because I had speculated it and I really like it. And I'm okay. not saying that. It's just speculation. And okay. that is, I think that maybe that sort of the deep state in Israel is kind of maybe led by Mossad probably in the foreign ministry or something are kind of versus Netanyahu here. Um, and that they kind of blame him for this, for his new alliance with the radical right there and, and the way that he has helped to bring this on. And that, you know, maybe mm. people who are closer to the actual intelligence services of Israel have a little bit more of an anti-Netanyahu line, whereas the neoconservatives, of course, are always going to align with him and in his right. faction of Likud. Well, so. well, you, I mean, this was such a 
Um, I mean, just the act alone, that, 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 that moment, you take that moment in a microcosm and it just is such an indictment on the Israeli intelligence com- community, which is, you know, second only to America's. <laughs> I mean, what an embarrassment. And, and that, that, you know, they didn't know what was happening is insane. Um, well, look, and, and, and here's the deal about that. Okay. They were playing with fire yeah, and they knew it like a kid with a matchbook. They thought it would be fine. My friend, Sean almost burned a whole golf course down when we was a kid. I, I actually burned a guy's front yard one time accidentally when I was a kid. And I don't know how, who it was that came and put it out, but we ran. Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, he, uh, he was playing with fire like a Mm -hmm. stupid kid. And the idea was, I'll try to make this real simple for people to understand. Picture Israel. Okay. If you can, you got that big chunk that seems to be missing out of the right side of it, the East side of it. That's what's left of the West bank and the Gaza and uh, the West bank and East Jerusalem. Uh, there. That's not a piece of Israel that was invaded and taken. That's what's left of the land that they have invaded and taken, right? And then you have this other tiny little strip of land on the Mediterranean shore near the Egyptian border, at the Egyptian border there. And, you know, like in the myth, they say, oh, Israel is this poor tiny little strip of land besieged on all sides by its enemies. Well, no, actually, they're friends with Jordan and Egypt and you know, they yeah. have Hezbollah in Lebanon, but Syria can't do anything to them. They've been bombing in Syria with impunity for a decade and they, they do exactly nothing. That, that statement actually truly describes the Gaza Strip. They are the helpless, tiny little besieged strip of land within that tiny little besieged strip of land that the Israelis are talking about there. Right. They're this much smaller little one of the Palestinians. And, and essentially, it's a concentration camp. It's a reservation, an Indian reservation for these people who already have been conquered. You know, they talk about this, Israel, Palestine, Israelis, Palestinians. Well, it sounds like the Palestinians already have a country because, of course, everybody has a country, right? So it's one country versus the other. That's how all you know, wars on earth are defined, right? Right. And like what? Special uh, Hamas is like the special forces group of the nation of Palestine, right? But no, there is no nation. You say this is a special case, isn't it? That's right. They're they're under total occupation. So what we have here really is more like the Attica prison riot uprising, right? Or or like if Indians had broke out of the res and went and scalped a bunch of Anglos in town in this kind of terrible terrorist act, no one would be forgiving the act They would all get the death penalty for murdering a bunch of innocent people. And yet at the same time, we would understand that this is not a war of equals. These are the Indians on the res, you know, committing an act of terrorism. Obviously, I hope no Indians get mad at me for keep using this analogy. I'm really not trying to demonize anyone. I swear to God, I I all do respect. I'm just saying. Right. We're trying to find analogies here, you know. That's right. Look, if... You, you could say Johannesburg and, you know. So, uh, sure. But like, look, because we're from America, okay? So look, right. if some Indians from the reservation out west went into town and started slaughtering a bunch of Anglos, the first thing is you would want to know why. 
you wouldn't that, and no one would think that you were saying, oh, that's good that they did that or any kind of stupid thing like that. Right. But you wouldn't be saying, oh, I guess Mohammed made him do it. I guess radical Islam made him do it. I guess they hate freedom. And so they got really upset that we're all so free. And that's why they attacked us. You'd be like, what's going on here? Did Hillary Clinton sell their uranium out from under them? And now they all got cancer from the mine near their village. Is something like plausible like that, maybe? I don't know. Right. And you would also understand that the relative power between, I don't know, the local sheriff's department on the reservation, which is their biggest armed force, that the relative power between the Indian council on the reservation and Joe Biden, the great white father back east, who is the ruler of the Union Army and the American world empire, you would understand that the discrepancy in power there is like Bill Clinton and a little girl right? Mm -hmm. It's, that's not fair. It's not anything like a fight, right? It, how about Bill Clinton versus the branch Davidians? There you go. Right. There's no need to go in there and bomb them and machine gun them and kill them. You got them surrounded. They can't get out now. And you're right. There was a massive intelligence failure here. But I think, as you know, they called up 300,000 reserves and the Gaza Strip sure as hell is sealed now. Right. Okay. So um, at this point, what do you do? At this point, you send in Sam Jackson to negotiate, man. You don't say, oh, when they're terrorists, they did a bad thing. And therefore, I get to be justified now in lusting for this completely disproportionate response of high explosive devices tearing human beings to little pieces this way. Right. And I got to tell you, man, I can talk this bad about the rank and file American bourgeoisie on this because I used to be 15. And when I was 15, Bush Sr. took us to war in Iraq. And I wasn't raised to be a Reaganite. I was not really a Democrat, but I wasn't raised to think like, oh, Reagan and Bush are our great heroes and put them out on Mount Rushmore and all that. It wasn't that. And I wasn't raised to give a damn about the people of Kuwait either. Whoever heard of Kuwait? None of us ever heard of Kuwait. Oh, right. we have a holy crusade to put King Al-Jaber back on his throne. What? Nobody cared about that. What it was about was we, including me, wanted to see some big explosions and wanted to see some tanks in action. And what's the fun of fighting a cold war against the Soviet Union that you can never fight because they got H-bombs. But now you're telling me we can literally, finally, I've been waiting, we can now do a Chuck Norris movie where Delta Force goes in and invades this third world, Middle Eastern country. Maybe even the Russians help us do it. Remember in Iraq War One, at least they voted for it on the UN Security Council. Right. And and we now finally we can use these fighter bombers that we've been basically sitting around practicing with. We haven't been able to kill anybody with them since Vietnam, right? And this sucks, man. And so all the 15 through 29-year-olds or 34-year-olds or whatever in America, we all agreed. Let's go explode the Iraqis so that we can see explosions on TV, so that we can see fighter bombers in action, so that we can see tanks roll, right? And, and that it was fun. 
It was bloodlust and we were indulging it. And the, and the, everybody knows the rules, okay? The rules are God who created the entire universe. He says you're never allowed to kill people. However, there's this big loophole that says if your government dresses you up in olive green and sends you off to fight Hitler, then of course, God would obviously allow that because right. you got to stop Hitler. And everybody knows as long as it's for your country, AKA whichever political faction happens to be in control of your government at any given time and the decisions that they make, whether it's a face biting rapist or whoever is calling the shot, that that's you and your job and you got to sign up for it. You got to believe in it, be part of it somehow. And right, like one, this is your opportunity to indulge your bloodlust. And two, you're a sinner on the side of the enemy if you won't. Oh, this yeah. Is, and so look, the only, and, and, and it, yes, I am accusing a, a great part of the American public for being this weak-minded and, and like sinfully like indulgent in their lust for the blood of innocent people that they know nothing about. But I do it advisedly because I remember very well 30 years ago exactly how I felt about the war. What fun. Oh yeah, the I remember I remember watching the better. And that is them. Yeah. That's the American people now is oh, what? Hamas did something? Ha ha ha. Excellent. Now I can lust for wide scale destruction which is very exciting for me. That's and it. This, That's and it. This, and this is where you get into like, you know, the people who who um, foster that. People like Nikki Haley, Tom Cotton. I mean, I, I am blown away by the the horror warmonger of Nikki Haley. I mean, I, it, and what she said immediately. We need to go. We need to go bomb Iran. Like, what the hell are you talking about? And then, and I just saw a tweet from Tom Cotton saying, you know, anybody who who thinks that. Uh, uh, you know, it's okay to something to the effect. So anybody who, who it says they're pro uh, Gazan, but against Hamas doesn't realize that, that the Gazans voted in Hamas. It's like, wait, that wasn't that Osama bin Laden's logic. Like, I, dude, are you not, are you that unself-aware? And look, that's exactly right. That is, if people want to check the footnote, it's Osama bin Laden's letter to America from 2002. And he says explicitly, you voted for these guys. You pay your taxes to them, and especially Americans. You talk a big game about your self-government democracy here and how you, the we, the people over there, are responsible for what your government does. Well, we're holding you responsible for it then, and you're all responsible. And that's completely crazy, right? Like, that's no more logical than, like, some kind of Marxist-Leninist stuff or some right. kind of Nazi stuff about collective responsibility, on the part of people who didn't do anything. So now every individual American who somehow was unable to stop Bill Clinton from being the president are now all responsible for his crimes, right? right? And that includes minor children on an airplane to LA when their plane gets hijacked and they get crashed into a tower somehow. Well, and, and, and that's when, the same exact logic here. That, absolutely. Oh, well, 17 years ago, somebody voted for Hamas under some circumstances that we don't want to get into in specific right. here. And so now everyone in Gaza deserves to die? Really? That's well, completely and, insane. And, and, you know, and the other excuse that, that I hear so often, especially 
um, from the Republican side of things right now is like, well, Hamas is using, you know, you know, uh, their, their people as human shields. And, you know, I think about that and I think, wait a sec, that, that just seems like, as you mentioned before, it's not like they're going anywhere. Like there's no reason this is, that's why you negotiate. That's yeah, why you don't go like, in there and just like, shoot even, the, I don't understand the logic. Them and think about, it. oh no, they use them as human shields. Okay, fine. Finish the sentence, dude. Oh, you only got to the comma. What's the rest of the sentence? They're using them as human shields. So it's okay to kill the human shields too. Just say right. that. That's what you mean. As long as they use a human shield, if it's a little child or if it's an old lady, you can kill them too. Go ahead and say that. Remember, because Jesus is going to quote you on Judgment Day, and that's your opinion. And of course, just like in the Bush years, and I'm not a collectivist, I'm not talking about every single person. I love those people, no, that's not true about every single person. Yeah, well, I didn't say it's true about every single person. Right. But it is true that just like in the W. Bush years, we know this from the polls in the W. Bush years, and it sure seems this way from my Twitter mentions, that the more you go to Protestant church, the more you support aggressive war and torture and murder and lying. Why? Why? What, because you already turned your brain off and just let some other people think for you? And so you're just used to now the Republicans? The Republicans standing in for your minister? Right. Telling right. you, you got to believe, you have to support torture now because that's what George W. Bush wants. It ain't like he's Ronald Reagan's son. He's just George Bush's son. And you're going to let him make a pro-torturer out of you? And, but that's what people do, man. They flip flop. In fact, those same people, Donald Trump said, we don't believe in anything George Bush did, do we, everyone? And they all went, um, no, I guess not. Leave me, daddy. And so now they all hate George Bush because that'll prevent them from voting for Jeb Bush. Okay, fine. But then Hamas does something terrible and all of a sudden they turn right back into yep. George W. Bush's men again. And they don't remember anything about all this America first and non-interventionism, staying out of the old world's problems and especially the Middle East. Man, and this is this is why I wanted to have you on. One of the reasons is because I think it's this is an important conversation. You know, because like you, I don't believe in collective guilt. I don't believe in collective punishment. Just, you know, I'm not the Osama bin Laden, the Israel. I don't believe in that. You know, however, I think it's just an opportunity for each person to look into their own damn heart and see, like, what, you know, what the hell do you feel about um, freedom? What does that mean? What do you think about um, a truth? You know, how important is history? How important is it for you to understand, like, the other side and negotiate and turn the other cheek and all these things that, that you know, as, a, as people, you know, who live by a Christian ideal, hopefully, like, are supposed to believe. And it, and it really pisses me off that we don't take the time to look into our own souls and go, wait a sec, how, how is my, how's my tax money contributing to this stuff? Right. And you know what it is, man? And you see this all the time. There's a huge thing. Of course, Matt Walsh is this very prominent kind of conservative uh, thought leader type now. And he has this whole thing today about how any conservative, anyone on the right who has any sympathy for the Palestinians well, look, and then he shows a, a protest of a bunch of communists who also support the Palestinians. Right, right. And, and like, I think the sign was like pro-abortion and pro-Palestine or something. And so he's like, aha, see, this is what you support now. Right. And it's like, look, man, that's so tired and weak and stupid, you know, but it, the thing is, it's true though. Okay. It's, there's a, a funny meme from, um, 
an episode of King of the Hill where Hank is trying to explain to his father, Cotton, who fought in World War II. No, Dad, this is Jesus peace, not hippie peace, because it's Christmas time. So they're going to hang up a thing that says peace on it. And Cotton's like, peace? And he's like, no, no, no. Jesus peace, not hippie peace. Because look, I, okay. it's true that yeah. if, if, if people say they're anti-war, then other people just immediately picture Janis Joplin in her sundress with, you know, her peace sign from 1967. Right. And which, by the way, all those people who were opposed to Vietnam were right all along. Yep. And everyone who disagreed with them was wrong the whole time, right. by the way. But anyway, <laughs> they immediately they think of like, I don't know, dirt weed and patchouli stink and like hairy legged women and like hippie scum, whatever. And then so it or like Antifa trans rights activists or some kind of crap. And then they go, OK, well. You know, there's a light switch here. It's either on or off. Yeah. You're either up or down. You're left or right. You're on my side or the other side. And if some commie said something sympathetic to the Palestinians, then no self-respecting right-winger is allowed to think anything like that ever again or else you're going to turn homo or some kind of thing. And it's just so stupid and wrong. And like, and especially for right-wingers now in the post-Trump era or even in the Invent, post-invention of Trump era. You do not have to be gay married to things that George W. Bush did anymore, do you? Donald Trump already told you, you don't have to believe in anything that's that right. W. Bush did. And, okay? and you, so that, and you were doing it. Clean break away. You were right doing there. it. Ukraine, I mean, people were, were, the Republican Party was turning against Ukraine. Now you could say, well, that was just because, you know, it was the Republicans versus the Democrats. Well, I don't care why exactly, except for they were doing it. They were saying th they were actually questioning the regime. And then boom, we had this other war just, just hit. I, you know, somehow that's, I don't know. I'll I tell you what, though, Go here's the good news, man, is Please. every time this happens, every time this happens, there are good right wingers and good left wingers who go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. My guys promised me they were going to do X and then it turned into this. Oh, I see what's really going on here. Right. So there were people who were leftists or liberals who felt very jaded by Bill Clinton because of what a right wing, you know, uh, nationalist murderer he was, imperialist and the rest. And they kind of became libertarians when they saw kind of how hollow and, and weak the internal opposition to him was when yeah. it should have been strong on the left, right? I mean, what, in other words, what Rage Against the Machine was saying about Bill Clinton was right, mm -hmm. right? And the, but the Democratic Party wasn't responding to that at all. And right. so a lot of, of, of leftists were like, oh, I get it, right? You don't care about me at all. You're really just one of them. And so like, I might as well just be against the whole damn thing. And then the same thing happened when during the Clinton years, he had so many people who were the anti-government right, the patriot movement to the right of the Republican Party. And damn the Republican Party too. They let Bill Clinton get away with everything. Mm -hmm. And they're in on it too. And everybody knows really, George H.W. Bush, Skull and Bones, Vice president cia heroin i mean uh, cocaine kingpin right bill clinton worked for him when bill clinton was a cocaine dealer in the 1980s him and his men which he wasn't really dealing it his men were in on the whole right. iran contra game well who was the chief of that whole operation the vice president of the united states the governor of arkansas was like seven ranks lower than him right, right? and so like the patriot right understood that 
The patriot right understood that what's wrong with Bill Clinton isn't just that he's some liberal. It's that he's actually secretly George Bush's guy. They're all in on it against us is what's really going on here, right? But then what happened? George Bush Jr. came to town and like the super majority of the right all of a sudden turned into the pro-government right. Right. It wasn't the government that was bad at all. It was just Bill Clinton, why he's such a bad guy, they decided. But there were, I don't know, some thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of right-wingers who went, well, wait a minute. George Bush isn't Ronald Reagan's boy. He's George Bush's boy. Yeah. And and like he's obviously lies about everything and is going to war and is like passing bills with Ted Kennedy and calls himself a compassionate conservative and all these kinds of things. So like he, before and after 9-11, there were right wingers who were like, oh, I get it. This whole like right wing, uh, you know, consensus against the government, it really, I, they just tricked us basically. They just substituted Bill Clinton for the government and got away. And then, so a lot of them stayed mad and a lot of them never believed in Bill Clinton at all, the Patriot, right? And a lot of them became more libertarian during that time. Right. At least libertarians are consistent on this stuff. Then Barack Obama came to town and a lot of people who voted for him, liberals and progressives and leftists, they thought he was going to end the wars. Isn't that what he was running on? And his name is, he's got, literally he's got Hussein and Obama in his name. And and so like, he's got to be the opposite of Bush. He's tall and dark and a Democrat from Illinois, right? Not right. like Ron Paul, who looks and talks and is from the same state as George Bush. They were fooled by that. But then what Obama do? Obama killed 2 million people. And they went, wait a minute. And I get this pretty regularly. It's like former leftists here. And I'm a libertarian now because you guys stayed anti-war all along. You guys stayed against all the things you said you were against, even when the parties in power switched, because we don't have that partisan loyalty. And I got the opposite side. Anybody, you know? Yeah, and I, and I get the opposite side, which I'm sure you do too. Which, which was, you know, I was, you know, I was a, a Reaganite, a Bushite. I was on the right hand, and and I see that it's all like it's all a Kabuki theater. The whole thing is Kabuki theater, and it's, and and you are right. It is. It's it's not even about like, um, you know, right versus left. It's about them versus us. That's right. And, 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 and have who to see do it you? That way. Who do you count as them? Okay, so look. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I studied social psychology in junior college for one semester. Therefore, I know that it's the key to everything. Okay. Right. So here's what it is, man, is it's what is called like the looking glass self, right? How do you think other people see you? And if you think, for example, that your dad and your older brother and your uncle Bob and your minister are all going to think that you're a communist who hates America and is like, you know, bi curious and all this stuff. Now you're probably going to just go ahead and keep your mouth shut or maybe even keep your opinion shut. Right. right? Okay. But then once you realize that you can go, no, 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 uh-uh, watch this dad, Pat Buchanan agrees with me. Now you can say whatever you want. Right yep. now you, you, you have um, that authority that that's right. And, and, a, and a way for them to understand that this argument can come from a different place than just what was built into their assumption, right? right? And I have a great example from driving a cab, and this would have been in 03, I think probably after the war had already started. Okay. As a young kind of spoiled rotten frat boy, Republican type kid in the car with, I guess his uncle Bob, right, yeah. is, is with him. And me and the kid are arguing about the war. And the kid knows all the slogans. He's been watching TV and he knows all the war party talking points to say. And I'm arguing with him and I'm arguing with him. 
And he's looking at his Uncle Bob, like, can you believe this guy? And this and that. And finally, Uncle Bob chimes in and goes, no, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. The cab driver's right. And then the kid says, oh, okay, I'm sorry, sir. And, and now we're cool and whatever, right? So now what happened? His, his Uncle Bob did not actually like explain any details of fact, right? right? He just let the kid know that he agrees with me. And that therefore I must not be all these like left-wing commie anti-American things that he was already presuming because he knows that shit ain't true about Uncle Bob. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And he knows that Uncle Bob is older and wiser and smarter and knows what's up. And and for Uncle Bob, when when me and him are in a real contest here, for Uncle Bob to take cab driver's side means that Uncle Bob is sure. Yeah. And that was good enough for the boy. Nothing that I said that was a detail. No, no, no. Condoleezza Rice, George Tenet, Colin Powell, George Bush, they don't accuse Saddam of doing 9-11. Only Dick Cheney does because he don't give a damn. The rest of them are more careful than that, right? And like, that's a detail of fact that you can check. That didn't change his mind. Gee, I wonder right. why none of the principals would explicitly Man. assert that. What changed his mind was Uncle Bob. So I don't know what's good advice about that. Well, you no, I'll mean? tell you some like, good all advice. All you can do is be yourself. Yeah, here's it, the good advice. Show. You got you, like, you got to be yourself and you don't know who you're going to influence. Like you don't know who you're the Uncle Bob and you don't know who you're the cab driver to. And you don't know who can influence that boy. And, and I think that's important. That's why we got to tell the truth and we got to stand up for what we believe is right. Right. That's it. And, and just like make it clear. Look at you and me. A yeah. couple of anti-American communists here right. or not. <laughs> Right. No, dude, actually, this is something this else. Is, love so, the country. Hate the, you know. You know hate. Yeah. And look, I like to point this out, too, that there are, I think, millions. There, Yes, there are literally millions of American Jews who think that there should be a two-state solution and the Palestinians should be allowed independence yesterday, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And, and they are absolutely firmly convicted about that. And they argue about it all the time. They fight for the rights of the Palestinians. Okay. There's only one reason for that. Only one possible reason for that. Okay. It's not because they're renegades who hate their own people or some kind of crap. It couldn't possibly be. Right. It's because what's going on, it ain't fair. And they know that. And they don't think it's right and they want it to change. And they think that, hey, well, as an American Zionist Jew, even I could say that and maybe people will listen to me if I say it, right? Just like an anti-war veteran wants right. to speak up and go, well, I've been there. Let me tell you, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, and so. The force you know, talk at, at <laughs> Ireland versus England. You yeah. didn't have the Irish take an England side, but you did have some English take the Irish side. Not not justifying terrorism, but explaining that like, geez, we are occupying their country and right. horribly mistreating them, right? Why were they doing that? Because they hate England and they hate the queen and whatever. No, it was because, come on, man, what, what's going on here? It's not fair, mm -hmm. right? So no wonder they resort to terrorism. They're being horribly oppressed. It doesn't justify terrorism, but it tells you what the cause is. You know what? And, stop and, pretending you don't understand. And, and, I, and this is a whole other can of worms, but I, I'm just going to bring it up. And all of these, and I'm going to call them propaganda just to be, you know, 
purposefully <laughs> pointed, but all this, this, this stuff that comes out, like there's no, nothing Dennis Prager says or Ben Shapiro or any of those dudes say one term is never mentioned. And that's property rights. Never. And I thought these guys were like conservatives, free market dudes. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's one thing if you go in and you buy somebody's property and you, you know, and in, I mean, you can make a case for, okay, now, now we're, we're legally occupying the land, but that is not what happened. And there's nothing, like, it just frustrates me that, 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 that term, that one little term property rights never come up. Right. And, and think about why, like, in fact, yeah, right-wingers turn immediately essentially into communists when they start yeah. talking about this, right? They go, oh, oh the UN gave was- it to them. Yeah. There never was a nation of Palestine before. Well, whatever. So they were under Turkish occupation and then the British stole it from them. Um, but that doesn't mean that the people who were living there didn't own the property that they owned. Right. Right. And and I did an interview, um, that guy Viva Free, he said to me, it was it belonged to Britain, so they could yeah. give it to whoever they wanted. No. no. Like that's total made up crap. Like, why do you come up with that stuff? Any more than I can come, oh, I get elected to the local town council and I can give your front yard to the neighbor across the street. Or well, oh, how about no, this? I can't. How about this? The UN, UN takes over Texas and says, oh, you know what? We need it. We, we have a bunch of Mexicans come over, so they're just going to take your house now. Like, how would, how would you stand for that? As like, simple as that. I mean, in fact, what would, honestly, let's yeah. say that the Hispanics become a severe majority, not even, but it wouldn't even be required. But let's just say they become a majority here and they start putting the Anglos in camps. I am a Texan. Let's right. say that the Mexicans start and they say, look, we're seceding from the union and we're creating a Mexa, a Hispanic ethno state and you guys, oh, we'll protect your rights as minorities. All right. And then they just start treating us all second class citizens or worse, third class citizens under military occupation, round us up in the Corpus Christi concentration camp where we're not allowed to escape, starve us and blockade us and all these kinds of things. Boy, what do you think the Texicans would do? Right. Man, they would not obey the rules of war. I'll tell you that. Yep. I would. I would only shoot combatants and I would shoot combatants. Right. Okay. However, not all Anglos would abide by that. No. Some of them would go and cut the throat of a guy's wife just to show who means business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody listening knows it too. Give me a break. And it wouldn't justify it at all, would it? Nope. It's by definition, not justifiable. It's also by definition caused. Right. right. And again, it doesn't reverse responsibility because responsibility is a quality, not a quantity. So something can be caused. And then the person who is caused can still be responsible for the thing that they do, too. That's right. That's what it means to live on a complicated planet full of giant sentient apes. Sinners, you know, right? <laughs> fallen, an- fallen angels, whichever it is. Yeah. I, I, we, uh, we're finishing up here. I, I've got another kind of question and, and something you actually mentioned in that, that, that Viva Fry interview. I really I thought that was a good interview. I thought. I, I, I wish he was actually listening and turned his lawyer hat off for a minute and listened to what you were saying. But, that. Yeah. But, uh, um, but one thing that, that man, I think I, because when we talk about the history of this, this, this place that we call Palestine or Israel or the middle East, like we talk about like what's happening right now. And we talk about, you know, 4,000 years ago, you know, it's like there, there's, there's very little in between that we actually understand and understand what's going on. But you said something, you know, about the, uh, the, the Romans kicking out the Jews that that may not have happened. And I just want to get like a source on that. And I know that, oh, hey. yeah, that Dude, you're I'm not, so you're not a history yes, yeah, I have it right here. 
Oh, I had it right here, dude. Good. You're going to be like, what? All right, check it out. And I had <laughs> forgotten this, man. I keep mentioning this, and <laughs> I have forgotten the source. Are you ready for the source? I'm ready. The source is David Ben-Gurion. No way. Okay? <laughs> the source is David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, and Yitzhak Ben-Zvi, Israel's second president, also a professional historian. Sorry, there's someone at my door. My dog's barking. I hope that's, that's all right. Um, their book came out in 1918. It's called Eretz Israel in the Past and in the Present. Okay. And here's what David Ben-Gurion wrote. Okay. The Fellahin, that is the Palestinian farmers, the Fellahin are not descendants of the Arab conquerors who captured Eretz Israel and Syria in the 7th century CE. The Arab victors did not... Excuse me. <laughs> Try this again. <laughs> the Arab victors did not destroy the agricultural population they found in the country. They expelled only the alien Byzantine rulers and did not touch the local population. Nor did the Arabs go in for settlement. Even in their former habitations, the Arabians did not engage in farming. They did not seek new lands on which to settle their peasantry, which hardly existed. Their whole interest in the new countries was political, religious, and material, to rule, to propagate Islam, and to collect taxes. And then this is uh, Shlomo Sand, is an Israeli historian. This is from his book, The Invention of the Jewish People. Okay. Um, and he is a professor at uh, Tel Aviv University. Um, and Sand says, Histor uh, that historical reason indicates that the population that survived since the 7th century had originated from the Judean farming class that the Muslim conquerors had found when they reached the country. And then he continues to quote Sand now, again quoting David Ben-Gurion and uh, his uh, co-author Yitzhak Ben-Zvi. Quote, to argue that after the conquest of Jerusalem by Titus and the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt, Jews altogether ceased to cultivate the land of Eretz Israel is to demonstrate complete ignorance of history and the contemporary literature of Israel. The Jewish farmer, like any other farmer, was not easily torn from his soil, which had been watered with his sweat and the sweat of his forebears. Despite the repression and suffering, the rural population remained unchanged. And then, so they go on, and essentially, obviously the argument being that when the Muslims came, the Jews converted to Islam so they wouldn't have to pay taxes. And that was it. There was no Arabian horde from Saudi or Iraq or somewhere that came and pushed the locals out and replaced them. These are... The descendants of Abraham. Some guy, or I mean, if you believe in that at all, they're the descendants of the ancient Hebrews. Right. Or they are still there. They're the Palestinians. Okay. Well, now, the reason that's important is because one of the questions that Israel always brings up is that this is the indigenous place, uh, that, the, that the Jews are the indigenous people of that place. And you're okay, saying, now, yes, exactly. But okay, so here's the thing, right? Yes. If, if being indigenous to the land counts, boy, it counts then. Right. Right. And in this case, we're led to believe, or we are, they would like for us to believe, that Russians and Lithuanians and Germans and New Yorkers, who are as white as you and me, and whose ancestors have not been from the Middle East in at least 2,000 years, that there's no statute of limitations whatsoever, because the Bible says 
even though it doesn't, that they can just come back and kill everybody who lives there and take the land from them like it's the Old Testament again. Right. And that it's they that can super property right that you talk about. Right. And now, but the people who are actually from there, they have no right even to live there, much less return to the land from wherever else they're from. And like some guy on Twitter said to me, no, because those are the sons of Ishmael instead of the sons of whatever. I was like, dude, this is just simply your superstition, okay? Mm -hmm. No one on earth is bound by who you pretend to think you know. You have faith in a holy book that tells you who is the great, great grandfather to the one millionth power right. of these people. You don't know that a man named Ishmael ever existed at all much less, oh no, God promised the children of these people who must be the Lithuanian Jews, but definitely not these people who actually continued to live there for the last 2,000 years, the whole time uninterrupted, right? right? They are essentially calling you stupid, okay? Right. They're telling you, hey, dummy, I bet you'll swallow this tripe. What and, and a here bunch of crap. But and, and here's the thing, like, and this is why this stuff is very, um, it, it's it's difficult only because, like, like, I, as a person who believes in that book, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this: family lines are complicated. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, dude, you like, don't know who's the great grandson right. of Ishmael or Abraham or so Isaac. Even or if I believe there is Ishmael and there is it, is there, it doesn't it it doesn't mean that you know anything. And 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 then to, you know what? Let's wait, wait, go wait, let me just and say we got to do a DNA test to see who owns that line is insane. Look, they used to say uh, this was the history up until 150 years ago. Okay, yeah. it says in the Bible that the sons of Ham are our slaves, and we can enslave them all because right. all black people are the sons of some guy named Ham, and so we can enslave because it says so in the book. And now, what? I mean, honestly, every true believer of the Bible listening to this show right now knows that God was wrong about that. Yep. No, we don't use that part of the Bible anymore. The Creator of the entire universe that we believe in. He actually didn't know what he was talking about when he said it was okay to enslave other human beings. That is what we all recognize that as what the corrupt backwards thinking of ancient men. Right. That's what it is. And right. that's why we don't believe in it anymore. So no, actually it's not okay to enslave some guy. Cause you pretend to believe that his great grandfather to the millionth power was some guy named ham. Right. But, Oh no, but this crap about you can steal land from the grandson of Ishmael. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's okay. totally kosher and legit. No, it's not. It's completely stupid is what right. it is. Okay. Right. And honestly, people ought to really prey on this. You really think that this is what Jesus wants is for American Protestant Christians to support ruthless oppression of innocent people by the Israeli state? That is really the Bible coming true. You're so convinced that this is the book of Daniel, like the, like the Branch Davidians in 1993. Oh, we're just certain this is the book of Daniel when we look out our window. Well, no, it wasn't. It was just Bill Clinton and the FBI and the Delta Force murdering you. That's all. That's yeah. not the book of Daniel, right? But you're so convinced that this is the book of Daniel that you have to support the nation state of Israel no matter what sins that they commit against innocent people. Right. And you're just so sure that your minister is just so smart that this is definitely the correct interpretation of the Bible that says sins aren't sins when the Likud party does them. 
Uh-huh. Sins aren't sins when Joe Biden underwrites them. Are you sure about that? That sounds yeah. like a bunch of crap. And aren't these the same ministers that promised you that if you supported Iraq War II, that Jesus would come back 20 years ago right. and rapture you up to heaven 20 years ago? Or at least we'd have peace in the Middle East with, with a bunch of, you know, democracies r- ruling the world. And we'd all be ha- having, you know, free Well, commerce. better than that. No way, man. All the holy books from Walmart left behind series promised. Oh, that's true. <laughs> We were all going to get to go up to heaven That's if we true. would only support Israel's and America's wars against these helpless people in the Middle East. People really believed. I know. I met them. I talked to them. People really believed because of Protestant preachers, not all of them, right? but they believed because of Protestant preachers and the Republican Party that Muslims worship the religion of Satan. Right? Not that these people have actually believe in the same Bible that you do. Not that they worship all the same pro- or revere all the same prophets that you do, including Jesus of Nazareth, right? Um, no, it's the devil. And so this is, it's the Christians and the Jews versus Satan. And, and, and when we win the battle, then Jesus will come back and rebuild the third temple. And then we'll all get raptured up to heaven in our living bodies, dude. I read all about it in the book that I got from Walmart that my minister told me to read. Right. And people want to pretend that they didn't go along with that. Yeah, they did. People believe that by the millions and millions and millions, they believe that. I mean, yep. you might as well believe that Al Gore is the second coming. Are you kidding me? How completely stupid can your minister be? And then, sorry, but Obi-Wan Kenobi called it. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Yep. And now, isn't it time to grow up and stop letting ridiculous people tell you what to believe? I mean, I'm not a believer in any of this magical stuff personally. Right. But if I really thought, that I was going to face the God of the entire universe on judgment day. I would not be cheerleading for the mass murder of innocent men, women, and children and coming up with some ridiculous excuse about, oh, protecting the people of Israel with this violence. When clearly they've been doing it this way for 60 years and it hasn't protected them from violence at all, or we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Yep. Right. Um, you know, and I'm, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm sorry, because I know my tone is very angry, but I am. I'm sick and tired of people believing completely idiotic excuses for killing people. You yeah. know what I mean? It's no different than if you took our whole conversation about skateboarding at the beginning of the show and then said, well, that's why we need to go to war, because John Cardiel can do a good Smith grind down a handrail. Well, that's just a non sequitur, man. These things don't hang together. And it's the same thing for virtually every argument you hear from the war party. It's just a bunch of crap. And frankly, it's insulting. Like, for example, and maybe I'll shut up after this. People, I urge you to look at the history of Israeli support for Hamas. You can read about it in the Wall Street Journal. You can read about it in UPI. You don't have to read it from a bunch of hippies. You don't even have to go to the Washington Post. You read the Wall Street Journal about it. Andrew Higgins and, and Richard Sale at UPI has always been you know, identified very closely with the Reaganites. Okay, this is not uh, some hippie. Okay, and then you go through... Um, you know, like we were talking about up to the current day where the Israelis prefer to have Hamas in the West Bank, pardon me, in the Gaza Strip so that they don't have to negotiate in good faith That's over right. um, the, the West Bank and the rest of Palestine. Well, I mean, one, this history is absolutely incontrovertible. 
right? You, people, I'll urge people to go look at my Twitter feed and just search in Twitter, Scott Horton Show, and then it, the Israeli regime likes it this way, starter pack, or in fact, just Scott Horton Show and starter pack, and you'll okay. find it. And I have a thread of threads of threads of quotes and links and proof of this whole topic and um, and the you way know, that I'll, they I'll find those links it. and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes because I think that's that is an important thing but to then, have on there. But then here's my point that before I come space out completely is that I have yet to see a single right wing warhawk say or liberal warhawk say, okay, yes, it's true that Netanyahu had this policy of deliberately nurturing Hamas so that he would have a good little enemy in Gaza to not have to negotiate with. However, still, I think we should carpet bomb the place, blah, blah, blah. Right? I haven't seen a single person who supports the war acknowledge that King Bibi is here and Hamas are the prison gang that he controls not directly, not that he calls them on the phone and tells them what to do, but he has all the power in the world. They are pawns on his chessboard. And yes, they did something crazy. He said, we control the height of the flame. We keep Hamas in power in Gaza so we don't have to negotiate over a Palestinian state. He says it, Google it. It's in Haaretz. To anyone who wants to thwart a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas in Gaza. That's a direct quote from Netanyahu talking to his own party ministers in the Likud party. And then he says, but don't worry, we control the height of the flame, right? But that is just not mm. true, nope. right? The flame burned the whole damn kitchen down, right? right. It jumped out of the pan and is turning this whole giant thing because the guy's, you know, one, he's got this completely cynical and evil policy of supporting evil in order to get away with evil. That's right. Right? <laughs> right. And right. then something really bad happened. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man, but right. like, you know, partisanship can't account for that. Being a leftist or being a right winger or being a conservative or a liberal or a Republican or a Democrat or, or, you know, Jewish or Gentile doesn't, have you got to take off those robes, really. man. You got to take those That's things right. off and you got to look at the truth. That's right. It is what it is. And, yeah. and I understand that people are in such a kind of deconstructionist age where like, no matter what you say, People want to go, aha, I see what's really going on here. You really think this, and that's where you're trying to trick me into thinking that. And like everybody just takes everything that everyone else says as a dishonest lie and a propaganda. Oh, I bet the Russians probably paid you to say it. If it wasn't them, I bet Iran paid you to say it. I bet Israel paid you to say it. Because no one can ever just say anything because it is what they think and what they want you to grok at all. And everyone is full of so many assumptions. And, and listen, it's good that people are on their guard. Right. It's good that people have their sharp elbows up. You're not going to convince me to believe something I don't want to believe. Like, good, okay. But like, also be smart, man. Don't just be unreasonable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And 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 when, look, when and when Uncle Bob says, "Hey, this guy's speaking the truth," maybe soften your heart just a little bit. And look, maybe that's where I should have started. Pat Buchanan, and I know he's Catholic, not a Protestant, but. Pat Buchanan, he donates to antiwar.com. I think it's okay to say that. He supports antiwar.com. We've run him for 25 years and he retired last November. Wow. But we love Pat and we're right-wing libertarians. Well, we're like a little bit Buchananite. We've run his article. You go to antiwar.com slash Pat. You'll find articles going back for 20 years, 25 years. And so um, this, you know, again, the social psychology of the situation, 
this is Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan's guy. And he likes what we're doing and thinks what we're doing is so important. And the same thing for Ron Paul and these other people. Yep. And so, um, you know, that all so guys, yes, for clue. sure. You got to go check out antiwar.com. Go support them. Go read their articles, man. It's, it's, you'll, you'll learn a lot. And then also the libertarian Institute, man, the, you guys do great work there too with Keith Knight. And I just had Lori uh, Calhoun on recently uh, on oh, the great. show, man. And, and you guys are doing just, fa- you're, I mean, you have some other books that are coming out too. Uh, Tom Woods is going to be publishing through you guys. Is that right? Yes. Very soon. Uh, we're publishing Tom Woods book should be out the end of next month. It's called diary of a psychosis. How public health, uh, I forgot, failed us, I think, during yeah. COVID mania. And it's fantastic. I read the whole thing uh, uh, last week and it's just incredible. And That's then, awesome. And then right on the heels of that, uh, we're publishing James Bovard's new book, Last Rights, The Death of American Liberty. Oh, wow. And uh, another absolutely fantastic one. We just published The Fake China Threat and It's Very Real Danger by Joseph, uh, Joseph Solis Mullen. And which is also fantastic. It's a very short little primer on the danger of the China hawks building up the China threat in a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of a way that could lead to the conflict like we have in Ukraine now or worse. And so that's a, and then also we're publishing another one by Keith Knight, who you just mentioned. It's called Domestic Imperialism. I love this title. Domestic Imperialism, Nine Reasons Why I Left Progressivism by the great Keith Knight. So all four Joes just came out and then we got these other three, um, Keith Knight, Tom Woods, and Jim Bovard are all coming out in the next month. Oh, that's incredible. And then yours is coming up, you know, relatively soon, I hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Everybody should, you know, everything should be available in time for Christmas uh, stockings and all that. Awesome. And um, Libertarian Institute. 13 books that we published so far now at the Institute. Man, that's incredible. You, You guys really happy to see that love love the work you guys are doing there so thank you Scott, i want to thank you for for taking the time to come on i hope you come on again we can you know you know all hail cardio hell yeah dude. <laughs> thank you again for you're the man mike is gone you are listening to end of love remain gone but not forgotten first of 23 installments requested by dr levitt trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization.